This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Right. Hello, y'all. Checking in from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. <sighs> With about, I think, 10 days until the full moon, which means that we're going to be launching our Tribe Design 13th. Uh, two hours down the road in Sedona, and I am here with a good friend of mine, Joel Olmstead. Um, yeah. We actually we we've probably spent the most quality time in a tribe design in Maui, but that's not where we first met. I'm curious, from your memory and your recall, how <laughs> how in the heavens do we know each other, and why do you think we're here? Oh man, so uh, it's been a lot of years. I remember I was exploring veganism. I was vegan for a couple years, and this was back in 2000. 13, 12, 13, something like that, maybe 11, 12, somewhere in that zone. And I was watching YouTube videos from Dan the Man, if you remember him, the fruititarian. Man, first of all, I think I feel like a lot of people, I mean, I'm obviously very biased because of the Rob Ross and everything, but I feel like a lot of people were exploring veganism, Rob totally. veganism in those days. <laughs> and I think Rob Ross were a major part of that. But Dan the Man, McDonald Life Regenerator, who I think currently lives in Kauai, who still may be a raw vegan, I'm not 100% sure. I know he's very much into fasting. I would blame him for more people <laughs> going raw <laughs> vegan than anyone in the world yeah, that I know. Sure. I don't know if you agree with that. He just had this really um, alive, like infectious, energetic expression. I think it drew a lot of people to to him and, and to the idea of veganism. And you know, he had like his van and his little uh, the side of the van. He had his little camera set up and uh, was just so full of life and happiness and goodness. And so. Yeah, he's actually, he cooked at our, or not cooked, but uncooked. Oh, nice. Our, for chef. He chefed for our first Tribe Design in Kauai. Wow. And okay. he, man, cool. major breakthroughs for us, him, yeah. everyone. And he, yeah. he is an epic person, an epic chef. When I cool. blame him for going, getting everyone to go veganism, I don't mean that in a bad way necessarily. I think yeah. he woke up a lot of people and still does to thinking differently. Yeah. And he, I mean, I've wondered about him recently and where he's at, what he's up to these days. I'll have to see if he's still making videos i think i looked for him i didn't see much but anyway so on his videos i think you guys played next and i just remember you with the hair you had the big fro at the time and you were just lit up eating dinosaur wieners and and like pounds of watermelon <laughs> and still eat dinosaur wieners and yeah. pounds of watermelon yeah. still do that and yeah. dinosaur wieners for anyone that's not familiar with the rob ross culture those are uh speckled ripe organic bananas yes indeed and uh, man, at the time I was packing like I would pack six or eight bananas a day. I was downtown at ASU, so this would have been 2011. Then I was downtown at ASU and downtown Phoenix, and I was bringing two uh, containers for food plus my backpack because I was raw at the time. And so I was just massive salad. I would eat like six or eight bananas a day. Anyway, I was very much into that movement, and I, that's how I was exposed to you guys. I don't remember how we initially made contact. Um, I think I do. Tell me if this jogs your memory. I think we, as we still, as at least I still have been being nomadic, um, I think we were going through Tempe, Arizona. Oh, yeah. And we made a post about, like, who's in, something like that. Or maybe not. Maybe we didn't make a post. We just, you just saw us at the Whole Foods, if I'm not mistaken. And then somehow you either went back to your house or somehow you gifted us like these rings right. made the out of PVC rings. pipes yeah. or something. Is that true? Is <laughs> That's that? totally true. Okay. Yeah. 
Yep. Um, yeah, the PVC rings. I made. I found out how to make how to bend PVC pipe in the oven. You fill it with sand and heat it to a certain level, and then you bend it. And I strung these lashing straps through them, and then they were like mobile rings. And I remember thinking these guys travel all the time, and they're very into working out. I remember watching a, a workout video or a video with you guys. And you're doing pull-ups on a tree. Well, there's the other, I've been doing pull-ups on the side of the house the other day, yeah. and trying to protect my hands. I even got a blister because nice. it's not the, so I could use some of those PVC sure. pipes again. <laughs> I have real rings now, but uh, regardless, yeah. So I remember thinking to myself, man, these guys could probably really use this, and so uh, that was my kind of prompting. And we did. We met at Whole Foods in Chandler. I remember that, and um, yeah, I remember taking a photo with you. And I think that was, gosh, that's been a long time. It's been nearly ten years ago, probably somewhere in that. Eight, wow, eight, ten years, yeah. And fast forward, you were in school studying what at that time before we fast forward? I was pre-med at the time. Okay, so that's something yeah. we have in common. Did you take the MCATs as well? No, I went I went the PA route. Okay, so I took the MCATs and then I took a year off. That's now 11 years off. Yeah. <laughs> maybe one day. Maybe if the medical, we were just talking yeah. about the medical system a bit with Deanna's dad here, yeah. who's from Denmark, who's kind of saying in his Danish accent that, Healthcare is free in Denmark. Uh, medicine is free. School is free. Yeah, and, and it's, it's quality. From what he says, it's, it's quality, which is kind of the question: if it's free, is it good? Yeah, and then the, I, without going, I know I was telling Joel just to echo what I said there earlier that those kind of so, socialistic societies are um, more leaning towards socialism, where that's all provided for free. Seems from the people that I know that are experts in debating that, they always seem to say, well, that works for 5 million people, right. but that Denmark right. is smaller than Los Angeles population-wise. Sure. So, now, we could talk about that, but I'm curious. So, you went to the PA route mm-hmm. at a physician assistant. Yep. And that, um, I've seen that, I don't know if this still holds true, but I remember like magazines floating around and my, you know, my mom is a nurse, my dad's a pharmacist. They wanted me to be a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember them when they realized, wow, Daniel might not be a medical doctor. <laughs> they were like, you know, trying to like tempt me with the PA. They, yeah. This magazine says the PA is the best yeah. job in America. Yeah. I, is that still sort of the still. reputation? Yeah, totally. So like Forbes, Glassdoor, a lot of these financial uh, magazines and publications have been doing, they've been evaluating uh, different levels of education and then the subsequent like income, um, job description, happiness, that kind of stuff. And the physician assistant for a master's degree anyway, it's only two years after your undergraduate degree, keeps coming out on top. And it's been several years running. I truthfully have not looked at it in the past couple of years, so I'm not sure if it's been dethroned uh, but it has been in the top one or two for i want to say like eight or ten years running so that's what tempted me okay now are you happy it tempted you how are you feeling do you do you think would you echo the sentiment of these magazines that a pa is the best one of the best jobs in america well i think it i think that's a loaded question so i think it depends on how much identification we have with our vocation right and so i think that for me it is an it's an excellent way for me to earn a decent living and have time to myself so that I can explore other other avenues of growth and development, which is really, that was the whole goal the whole time along was like, how can I have a job that provides me stability and security, take care of my daughter and have something that's not going to be liquidated when tech takes over, which it might at some point, but not in the foreseeable future. Um, where I get to help people, I get to serve people and I get to give because that's sort of always been my, my MO, been my mantra is to help serve people. And so for me, it was a natural fit. I thought I wanted to be a doc and I started doing some volunteering and, and I was like, who are these people? They seem happy and they're 
like practicing medicine too. So I actually realized it when I was a junior in college and, um, yeah, it's been a great, great, uh, career. I, you know, medicine as a whole is moving in the wrong direction. If you look at all smart business models, unfortunately. Um, and so that's, you know, the overarching pieces of the, of the puzzle can be sort of disheartening and disenfranchising, but my actual job duty day to day, I, I, I really like it. So awesome. And yeah, I definitely realize it's a loaded question because partly <laughs> I think anyone that I just think it's so crazy for any general, like this is the best job in America because it's yeah. such a subjective thing. In my opinion, for, for anyone that's listening to have the best job, it first gets to be your joy of being. Can you make it a good, can you make it a fun thing for yourself? And if someone's listening to this and they find themselves in a position where they're feeling like they are sacrificing or, or just doing something they really don't want to do so they can have money, um, I'd say it might be time to wake up. Do you have anything to say about that? Yeah. Yeah, man. I think that, uh, in general, kind of going along with this breaking normal theme, I think in general what we are uh, sort of taught as a society is to follow a certain structure and blueprint for successful living. And I think that a lot of people do that, but then when the blueprint is over, when it's done, we when we become professionals and we have this mentality of like, what's next? Some of us turn to... Uh, like buying cars and boats and some of us turn to alcohol and relationships and some of us turn to infidelity and you know sometimes things get a little wacky because there's no more growth like there's this expectation to choose what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're 18 arguably you have no idea even who you are at that moment and then continue to move forward in a direction that uh, may or may not actually be what you want to do and then at the end of the day people kind of are um, largely directed by media and by social norms and that sort of thing and become unhappy with their lives. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that is a big part of breaking normal and helping people recognize that that the, the, the cultural pressure for some people to maybe climb up the ladder and I'm wanting them to maybe figure out before they go all the way up that ladder and spend yeah. all that time that it might sure. be leaning against the wrong wall. Yep. So. <laughs> yeah, I love that analogy. Yeah, and um, I, I also am under the impression though that you're in. You, you've been doing things to potentially make it where your PA is just your PA job is just a side gig. Yeah. Potentially, I'm not yeah. sure if that's so true. And I say that also knowing you through Tribe Design, which is. Yep. Um, it's a, it's a, I don't know how you would describe How would you describe tribe design? For me, I definitely think it's, from one thing, it's a great way for people to really get to know each other, really get to know each other yeah. quickly. And I feel like I, I got to see you in a way, and you got to see me in a way that many people, maybe our whole lives, have never seen us. Right. Yeah, man, tribe design. So for me, my personal experience with tribe design, I can speak to that fully, was one of the most uh, transformational experiences in my life for sure by far. And what, and what I think tribe design facilitated was a real, um, awakening of pieces of me that I was trying to hide or like not deal with or not really, uh, come to terms with maybe. And the, the process of tribe design and going through the workshops and experiences, I was open, like I was fully there a hundred percent. And I, I was, open for whatever might come up and a lot came up for me. And so 
you know, I've done some pretty transformational stuff. We talked about ayahuasca briefly and um, 10 day silent Vipassana meditations and, and tribe design is up there with one of the real life altering uh, experiences for me. Um, and it did, it facilitated friendships that I have even to this day, it was January, 2018. And so it's been a year and a half over a year and a half. <clears throat> and some of these people, I, you know, like Lance, for example, we were talking about him. Love you, Lance. Um, some of these connections, it, it sort of is like you go through this, uh, I almost describe it as like a, as like PA school where it's just this really intense experience. And on the other side of it, it's almost like I, I know these people really well. Like I have two friends from PA school, Zach and Joe, who I'll have, you know, connection with for the rest of my life because of this really intense experience and tribe design did that in like a weekend, basically. Yes, definitely. I, I got a lot of God bumps when you were saying that, so thank you. I'm partly probably because I'm biased by the affirmation of being <laughs> one of the main people stewarding that brand. Yeah. And uh, yeah. but I do remember, like you in particular, are like an an avatar. You represent an avatar of someone that experienced tribe design, like I dream of. Yeah, I receive that. <laughs> yeah, and I think that. Uh, yeah, it's like you, by seeing you transform, it's transformed me, and I've seen other people transform, but not everyone to the same degree, but I think you are like, when I think of the epiphany of evolution through tribe design, I think of Joel, <laughs> and it's really fun to see you, uh, like even now, now it might be a good way to bridge into the other things you're doing beyond mm -hmm. just your job, yeah. and finding other avenues that might light you up even more while maintaining your job, and which I, I think is really wise. Um, I think a lot of people might, I'll confess this, I bet a lot of people have a tendency to look at my lifestyle and think like they might be a PA or they might be a lawyer or they might, they might have a really solid source of like secure income that might be important for their family's well-being and they might look at me and get tempted to just throw it all away and one, like just rip it all off and that might not be the mm -hmm. safest strategy. So I'm, I'm particularly inspired by how you have maintain the path of being a PA, but also are starting to do things and offering services uh, for money right. that are maybe very different from what someone would find at a hospital. Yeah. Well, full disclosure, I ripped the bandaid off and I, I essentially walked away. The timing was right in, in the emergency department, which is where I primarily work at the moment. Um, that we were fully staffed and I was able to step away a hundred percent. And so I did that for months and explored coaching and teaching and um, meditation and all these other things that I do now fully for that time frame. And then recently have gone back to the stability and with that step back to uh, practicing medicine, having that stability in my life has been so incredibly important, man. It's been, it's facilitated. So like, I feel as if my root chakra was shaken up by not having consistency and my passion became my full-time employment and full-time income. So like the energetic exchange in the fiscal form of, of money was just coming from my coaching and from my passion project essentially. And I found so much identification with that business because it was an extension of who I was and my, my deepest gifts offering to the world um, that it became a really personal thing. I personalized a lot of it and it became this, um, it didn't, it, it became not that fun <laughs> for me to be quite honest. And so, um, you know, a few different things happened 
kind of a perfect storm. I ended up getting very sick in June for about two weeks, um, lost 12 pounds. I had food poisoning and um, it stopped me in my tracks. And I really had to stop and evaluate where I was at, what I wanted to do in the future and how I could provide my deepest gifts to the world. And it wasn't doing what I was doing. Um, and so moving back, transitioning back to full-time work in, in medicine has facilitated that again for me to be able to provide, you know, coaching and teaching and mentorship and, um, you know, these things that I love. So as like a passion project rather right. than the only, the exactly. only thing, which mm-hmm. I know it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, I think it's, this is where I've had so many podcasts where we've discussed such controversial, controversial topics. The one with Seva, I don't know if you listen to that one mm-hmm. is coming up about polyamory versus okay. monogamy. Mm-hmm. And he really believes it's like this similar to homosexuality versus someone's heterosexual that mm-hmm. some people are more tilted genetically okay. or inherently towards a, a certain type of sexual lifestyle where others are not. And sometimes I've had people that have been extra inspired by our lifestyle and they do what you did. They quit and then they start doing their own thing and they just seem like they're losing it. They yeah. seem, it almost seems like it's yeah. too much. And I, yeah, it's weird for me because I do wonder if I'm tilted towards that like really high risk sure. moving lifestyle and Deanna's not potentially. <laughs> so then we could figure out those dynamics yeah. and now that we have a kid. And I think about you, um, yeah. you – Mentioned that you had to acknowledge some things at Tribe Design, and you being a dad. Were, you're, are you? Did you describe yourself as a single dad, or like I? I don't know exactly the whole, or I don't remember recall specifically. But I know you have a beautiful daughter. Yeah. And I don't know if I've ever met her mom. No, I don't think you have. So, I don't remember how I described myself, and that's actually an interesting um, experience. Like when I fill out taxes and for what for whatever reason if there's a form that asks am i single married divorced widowed whatever it's like that actually has me scratching my head a little bit because i technically am divorced and i'm a and i would i guess the best way to characterize my position as a father is i'm a part-time single dad and so like i don't have her full time i don't have that responsibility constantly but when i do have her i am and i'm now in a partnership where there's a little bit of shared um parenting happening to a small degree, but primarily the burden or um, blessing, I would say, is a better word for it. To be a, a parent is is on me, um, and so yeah, that's that's kind of like a, a a huge part of my life. Obviously, the motivation behind going to school and getting stability and and getting back to medicine for stability. Because if it were just me, um, and I recognize that business takes time, right? It takes time to build for me in my personal experience with it is that it has taken some time to build momentum and grow and, um, and maybe up and quitting everything and and launching into just that full time was not the best move. Um, and specifically for a parenthood for financial stability for Brooklyn and, and to demonstrate to her how we can be responsible with what we're given. And that includes finances as well. So, well, there's yeah. This is a big right. So I'm in the as you know. I've I've probably reached out to you, <laughs> maybe approaching a thousand people in the last uh, few or last month. Hold on, a little chocolate in the back of the throat. <laughs> um, to specifically ask for financing, for money, for capital, mm-hmm. because I'm raising 
I'm raising money for my app. My Breaking Normal app right. is taking a long time to get to this point. And for anyone that's listening that's curious, I know I've had people, all of a sudden people are starting to hit me up, which is a good freaking sign. Uh, I've even had people, Instagram messages right now. Are you looking for investors? Like stuff like that. I'm like, okay, this is happening. But I have partnered with a company that it's like a crowdfunding website called Start Engine where people can make investments of $108 or more with a credit or debit card, and in exchange, they get equity in the app. And I've given up 11% of the Breaking Normal Inc., which is the app, in, the, in order to raise this $107,000 in the next 28 days at this point. And that is, out of all topics I've ever spoken to many people about, it seems like money oh, is yeah. the most funny. <laughs> it is the By It far. brings up the most, mm-hmm. the fastest. Like, I could bring up talking about God, sex, uh, death, all kinds of things and it seems like money is the most like I've had people I've had people that have during these conversations have told me like why are you only raising $107,000 like almost they're like disappointed in me <laughs> like what what if I wrote you a check for 100 million would you know what to do with that like they almost got like angry at that and then I've had people be like why do you need $107,000 right. like I can why, why do you and I'm like what the heck? What's the? Yeah. I'm like, I really get to hold my own energy in this experience, yeah. and I do want to. Um, I know you didn't ask for me to say this, but I'm going to tell this story. I, I've gone, I've gone through waves through my passion projects of being an ecopreneur and following my heart, and maybe my root chakra <laughs> moving around really rapidly <laughs> here and there around the world. Uh, maybe some people would judge it to be like a, a crazy hamster, and some people would judge it to be like, man, this guy's just purely led by spirit. At one point in my life, I was I was just so <laughs> needed money, like like for how much we're gonna pay for our groceries today, kind of thing, because things got real tight. And I think this was when I was building the app originally, around mm-hmm. the same time when I was probably burning through way too much of my own capital. And then someone really wise in the tech space advising me to do what I'm doing now. Thank you, Ben from Neptune Avenue. <laughs> um, but at that time, I would think I was even remembering asking DM, like, yeah, we gotta start, we gotta, I gotta start asking someone for a loan or something just so we can get through this for now. We gotta get some money. So we, and at, at right, when, right when I was thinking I was saying that, I got a text message from you <laughs> that said, uh, Joel, it was like an Apple Pay thing for $1,000. And yeah. I almost was like, oh my gosh, is this like a virus? Like, I think the algorithms are hearing me ask for money. <laughs> and this, yeah. someone just says Joel sent me $1,000, but I've never seen this. I don't know if I should click on this. Mm-hmm. And then I called you. I was like, Joel, I just got this weird message from you. That is how I remember it. Um, did you just send me $1,000 or is my phone trying to get me could click on a virus or something like that? And you're like, no. Uh, the way I remember you saying it, it's like, no, I, I, I heard like, uh, God told I think you said God told me to send you some funds yeah and at that point I out of many points in my life and I've had similar stories I felt so affirmed for me mm-hmm. walking to the edge of the cliff of faith where I thought I couldn't walk anymore yeah. and then like found wings yeah. So thank you, first of all, for providing those wings. And then I would love to know what, yeah, if you wanted, maybe maybe someone else is curious, was like, what the heck, what did you really, what did God say, or how did that happen? How was that timing so ridiculous? And if anyone's interested about ridiculous money timing, check out the episode with Raj Lahoti. That's a crazy story as well. Um, yeah, I'd love to know what that brings up for you. What were you tuning into? Uh, do you think that was just random? And all those questions and more. And then just the topic of money and, and overall. I know it's a big topic, but I'd love to know what's on yeah. your heart about it right now. Okay, so specifically with that instance, and, and this has happened a few times for you and I, where we're reading the same author 
or we are thinking along the same uh, thought processes. Um, recently, we were reading, we were both reading Neville Goddard, right? Um, that happened with Joe Dispenza as well. Um, I think there have been a few instances where we have been sort of aligned in some energetic pathway that we can't see, touch, taste, or feel, which is really, maybe we can feel it, but that's really beautiful. So um, at this specific time, I remember, um, so I had called in $30,000 in my life and I was dead set on this number. I wrote it down and meditated on it and I got $30,000. And so when I got that money, um, I remember thinking to myself, because tribe design was such a massive shift in my experience, my personal experience in life. I remember thinking to myself, I didn't feel indebted to you, but I wanted to, to say thank you sort of in a way and to just express how much I really love you and I support you with what you're doing because I believe in your mission. And, um, and at that moment, I remember having this money and thinking about like how good it feels for me to be able to give to people, right? And, and money is funny. And it's this thing that causes so much disruption in our field. And so to give it is like such a, for me, is such an act of like service and of saying, hey, I have faith that this is just energy and it's going to come and go all the time and flux and flow. And um, at that moment, when I was thinking about that, I definitely had this nudge. Your name popped in my head. The number popped in my head. I pulled out my phone. I was driving. <laughs> I pulled, I had just got done at Chipotle. I was driving down Pima road. I pulled out my phone, typed in the number and hit send. I didn't even think about it. It was just like, this is, and then you called me while I was on the road. And, I was on the road yeah. too. I think yeah. I was, I think <laughs> I would like Deanna to help me remember. I, I think we were literally talking about like who, how, who yeah. are we going to get money from? Like yeah. we need a loan kind of thing now. So it was that conversation that was just in the field or in the mind of God or whatever that, yeah, and I got the nudge, and I and I acted on it without even thinking, literally. So that was it. Well, thank you for tuning into mm -hmm. whatever you're doing. Um, and for me, it was a huge affirmation. It is a still a huge affirmation for me, and I think that says a lot about you and a lot about our parallel intersecting tangent paths yeah. and, and something special, yeah. something very special. I appreciate that, man. And then specifically to money in general – you know, I found with coaching, which is one of the things that I do with my time that I really enjoy, my joy of being, if you will, um, I sort of enjoy. It's kind of a two-edged sword. But anyway, um, I found that it's really interesting that people, we have these in-depth conversations about their health and their wellness and vitality. And really, when we are, when we get down to the root of everything, say we're laying on our deathbed, we think about our life. We don't think about the money that we had. We don't think about the things that we had. We think about the way that we impacted the world, how we took care of ourselves, the people that we influenced or were able to connect with and, and um, share experiences with and that kind of thing. Money facilitates some of that, but in general, there's so much fear and lack around money that I could have these really in-depth conversations with people and talk about investing in their health and in themselves. And at, you know, we're on board, we're having the same sort of thought process. And then when it comes down to commitment, people are, they just fall out and not everybody. I've had amazing clients. I still have some amazing clients who understand the kind of the balance of where money fits into their life. Um, but quite oftentimes people have this really interesting relationship with money that it is so empowered, um, volitionally empowered, I might add that, uh, 
it affects a lot of, of their uh, experience. And so for me, you know, I've had uh, some experiences with it where I don't, I don't really be careful with the words I'm saying here, but in the past, I haven't really cared much for money because my experience has been so rich and my perfect day, for example, or um, with the exception of travel, uh, I don't need a lot of money for it. I really don't. And so innately, I haven't had a huge desire to be very wealthy. And I've, I've made a decent living with, you know, being a physician assistant. Um, but I've, I've almost had to reorient myself toward the things that require money to make me motivated to work. I can so resonate with that. That's one thing that I'm like, as, as stressful as Deanna or Deanna's dad might think that what I'm doing right now seems to be asking all these people from help and support because something I really believe in. And it's like, it's not the, the money is the fuel. The, the mission is much bigger than the money, but it does seem like this mission is requiring me to get sure. money. And that brings up all these things for myself and all kinds of people and all kinds of different reactions. But I will say one of the things I'm really, it's fun for me. It's super fun. Like I'm super happy that I have a project that's requiring money. That's helping me. It's like this treasure. It's the treasure hunt. Like people, Timothy once said, people don't put puzzles together to see what they look like. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not sure if I'm on this treasure hunt just to get the treasure at all. Like right. I am becoming a different person mm -hmm. through this treasure hunt. And I think that's a big thing. Like, I think it's very important if someone's listening and they are not, uh, they feel broke or they feel like they don't know how to get money. Maybe uh, doing something that requires money might kind of be illuminating. Yeah. It might be um, inspiring. It might be invigorating. Maybe it doesn't even have to be for oneself. It could be raising money for the Bahamas. It could be raising money for someone else's cause. Yeah. It could be raising money for the Breaking Rule app. It could be just having enough money so you can cover everyone everywhere you go. How about that? I mean, like, why not? What do you think about that lifestyle? Would you like to live a life where wherever you go, you can just pay for everyone? Oh, yeah. 100%. And that's that's where I'll be for sure. I mean, the way that I'll get there and, and really truly reorienting myself to that experience. Like I can't show up and give my deepest gifts and purpose to the world without being financially secure. I simply can't do it. And so that has kind of reinvigorated this desire to obtain, to obtain capital and, and fiscal energy in the form of money so that I can show up and give my deepest purpose and have these experiences with people that I truly care about and take care of people. And, you know, some of it is for me. Yes. I want a solar powered home. I want to run my cars off my, off the sun's energy. I, you know, there are specific, I want great water access. Um, some of these things are really important for me personally. And a lot of it is because I am so other oriented and, and focused on other people that has become my fuel to, to kind of uh, reinvigorate this this passion for for finances. Yeah, it's. I think one of the reasons it's such a big idea that's coming more clarity, and I'd love to know what you think about this. It's because it's so objective. So if someone wants to have a million dollars in their bank account, it's not like saying that I'm happy or that I'm in love. Because how can someone measure if you're happy or in love? But the money is so clearly measurable. There's a specific number, and I think that can be super convicting. Yeah. It can bring up a lot of stuff, a lot of tension. I would say that we subjectify it, though. Like a money in and of itself is definitely an objective like number, right? It's hard and cold and it's there. And what we bring to it, 
like the the emotion we bring to it and like the want or the need or the desire or whatever is what I think starts to make it something it's entirely not. Um, I, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Oh yeah, the thirty thousand dollars you mm-hmm. mentioned. Can you tell us that story? I, I, if that's cool with you, I, I yeah. feel like that might be a there might be a lesson in here yeah. for me and others. So essentially, I had. Um, I had reached a point in the business where I needed some funds. I needed some support for the business. And um, I essentially had been setting aside money in a savings account of sorts that I hadn't been messing with or looking at for years. And it was kind of part of my um, employment and that kind of thing. And so when I looked at that account, um, I had the ability to draw from it and the amount was exactly $30,000. So it was exactly what I wanted. And, um, you know, I had a similar instance, um, a couple of months ago where there was another, uh, amount of money that I was really wanting to attract and to bring into my life. And that came into my life as well in this, in this form, it came as a loan. Um, but to the dollar again, I mean, it was, it was there. And so both of those instances, I, you know, it's not like it fell out of the the clear blue sky, but it was definitely areas that I didn't even consider or like think about at all. That was even an option. And then lo and pull there it was. So So do you have a specific strategy about that? I know you mentioned Neville Goddard and I know he's Mm -hmm. given some pretty interesting layouts that, that, that author, if anyone wants to check out Neville Goddard. Oh yeah. He's um, good. Do you utilize a similar strategy or how would you, was there a, when you were saying you were meditating on that specific number, mm-hmm. what does that mean? So for me specifically, I think that, um, so one of the new programs that I'm launching is, uh, the spiritual disciplines and, and prayer and meditation are two of the spiritual disciplines. And for me, I believe that prayer is, um, it's a projection and then meditation is like a reception sort of. And prayer is in maybe not the classic terms that some people would think about, like a Judeo-Christian approach to prayer. I do believe that form of it, but I also believe that it's a projection of what like faith and belief and visualization and affirmations onto the mind of God. And so prayer for me is a really powerful way for me to link up with the stuff we can't name. And, you know, we want to call the quantum field or the mind of God or whatever. And then in concert with that is meditation and meditation is reception. That's reception of, um, ideas, intuition, direction. You know, it's, it's sort of like, I liken it to having faith that as I step, the path is going to be there as I step, but also deliberately wanting to go somewhere, not just like roaming around in darkness, right. But having a direction that I want to go. And so really for me, the $30,000 was something that I would write down. Um, I would write it down in the mornings. Uh, I would meditate on that number as well and completely release any of the how, which of course, obviously, you know, pretty well, that idea of meditating on what you want, but not being attached to how it's going to show up in the life. And so, um, yeah, I mean, when I'm faithful with that practice, it aligns me to that course in my life. It's not like a magical esoteric thing. It really is just like, I'm orienting myself to where I want to be. And then with that alignment, I find other people that are in that alignment. I find, you know, the financial ability that's in that alignment. I find situations, circumstances, whatever. And then life is not happening to me or because of me, but it's happening for me, which I think is really the key. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'm going to do a little, uh, let's see if I can 
echo Neville's, yours, and my sentiment around this idea. And one of the strategies, I would say, that there is a specific strategy. I think in the book I was listening to, I listened to the complete reader series, but I used this, I would say, for this to manifest or to just step into my remembering of the future of this mm-hmm. amazing house in Sedona that I really mm-hmm. wanted to stay at and yeah. it worked out yeah. <laughs> and it worked out in ways that were like yeah. edgy once again mm-hmm. like did I really have to get this close to going crazy <laughs> to make this happen <laughs> but it, it he describes the idea like let's say that um let's I'll just make it very personal let's say that the $107,000 I want, uh, and I'm actually, I'm, let's not do my personal, because I do think there is something about uh, sharing secrets. I'm so, this is so funny. I have a, I have an idea that I, anything that I'm ready to let go of and move beyond, and this is a big part of tribe design, I share it out loud. Right, yeah. And anything that mm-hmm. I really have a goal or a desire, and I think Michael Phelps might echo this mm-hmm. to keep it secret. And I think Neville might keep that secret to kind of mm-hmm. support that as well. Like your, their prayers, and this is in the Bible, it doesn't need to be, your prayers don't need to be shown off. Mm-hmm. And it's pray, not, don't pray so other people can hear you pray. Right. There's a bigger reason to pray. Yep. So let's just make a generic example. Say someone is listening to this and they wanted $100,000 for their business by October 1st. Be by October 1st. Then Neville, and what I'm hearing, maybe you've done and maybe what I've done, similar strategies is too actually visualize and remember conversations of people congratulating me for making that hundred thousand dollars like wow that was miraculous how you did that like um i can't believe that guy just came however you want it to happen i can't believe that guy came up to you on september 31st and just handed you a check for a hundred thousand dollars because he overheard you talking at the restaurant to like remember scenarios like this and to not only remember them mentally but to What's more important is to feel the feeling of something like that happening in your body and to maintain that feeling, Mm -hmm. to continuously maintain the feeling of receiving congratulations and affirmations that this goal has already been done, that has already been accomplished in the future. And now I'm walking into that future gracefully. And the more I gracefully I can walk into that future and at peace and at ease and harmony with that feeling in my body without getting all stressful and worried, the more likely something like that's going to happen or yeah. better. No, hundred percent. And, and I mean, I think we're touching on a little bit of Joe's stuff too. Joe Dispenza, for those of you uh, who may not know, um, clear intentions with elevated emotions, right? So we set the clear intention and we have the emotion associated with it. And this is why, like with my clients, the very first thing we do is we write out the reason behind the reason behind the reason for contacting me. And then what is their perfect day? And then from that, we pull out emotions and meditate on those emotions so that we can then merge with where we're at to where, where those emotions live. And we close that gap. And so for you, what you're doing is you're training your brain essentially, because we dream in pictures, we think in pictures and Phelps again, He's a big, big proponent of visualization, visualizing, touching the wall before anybody else, visualizing, getting off the block quicker than anybody else. Like that's a huge part of his, his process or, or was a huge part of his process. And we dream in pictures I so we can, we'd help him with that. Probably <laughs> a little side joke and a serious one. Cause I am, yeah. I do have a thing now. Maybe this is something we can make sure we talk about. Um, I have, I have, I think a lot of people on stage and that are like accomplished huge feats. A lot of the times they, have used a lot of um, exogenous mm-hmm. substances such as weed or yeah. something even more taboo. Yeah. But, and then they speak about it in a way like telling people not to use it because they're currently not using it and they have like a bad association with it and they've moved past it. But my question always is like, well, how much 
did the weed have to do with you getting <laughs> to the space of visualizing the perfect dive? Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's a side note. I didn't mean to yeah. no, no pull you so off tangent, yeah. but if you remember where you were going, I'm happy to hear as well. <laughs> yeah, man. I think I just think that it's critically important, and we've done studies. Uh, we haven't done studies. Science has done studies on. Um, so, so for example, depression. People who are suffering from depression have actual levels of serotonin that are lower in their brains, right? So it's a physiological thing. We can have people either visualize a joyful experience or mentally say, I'm having a joyful experience. I'm enjoying this. So either they, they visualize the thing or they talk about the thing. So there's an internal dialogue or an internal picture sort of. Either way, we have actual changes in the brain. And we can watch this on functional MRI, different parts of the brain light up. We see people that get out of their limbic system, their emotional limbic system, and get into the, the cortex, the cerebral cortex, what makes us humans, and objectively start to focus on positivity, and it changes the levels of neurotransmitters inside their brain. And so what you're doing is you're imagining a picture right you're imagining somebody smiling and like the clothes that they're wearing and the way the room smells when someone is congratulating you for receiving this money what i've done more which is i think um more of like the the picture thing has been like reciting things and getting myself um this is what will happen or um you know this is what i want type thing to where our brain becomes familiar with that environment whether it's speaking it or visualizing it yeah, the thing. All right, and I'll give it it's very specific in case you, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast with Seva or everyone has, but it's I tell a story in there, and that podcast is so taboo. I haven't even figured out how to advertise <laughs> it because I think it'll get flagged on social media. Uh, so I highly check, recommend checking that one out. But we filmed it at the house with the grass roof that I wanted to be at, and I was explaining to him the way that I visualized it was actually uh, imagining having sex with Deanna on the roof. And because that it's easier for me to light up my body sure. <laughs> thinking about sexual acts, I think. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, this is why, this is where this, what you're saying is so true. How, if this is not true, then how can someone get a boner by thinking about right. something, even though there's yeah. nothing stimulating them? So this mm-hmm. is obviously true in my opinion, what you're yeah. getting at. And to me, that's, um, I've definitely used that, like fantasizing mm-hmm. about a sexual act in the scenario that I want to create, not because just the sex. Right. But because I'm, it's easier for my body to feel the feelings of that happening. And sure enough, we got that house. And sure enough, we haven't had sex on the roof. <laughs> but we do have it for our bonus night for our facilitator training. So maybe it's maybe it's the big bang it's then. It's the magic night. Oh, that'd be a full moon too. So Deanna will probably not be fertile. So no risk on the, there you go. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> the timing maybe is always perfect. Yeah. Anyways, that's another taboo topic. Um, I, love, I love that you've um, hijacked that... Uh, kind of like neuroendocrine experience with the mind and body and said like, Hey, I'm going to get into my body by using this, which I know works very well. And I'm going to harness that energy and direct it toward what I really want. That's, that's beautiful, man. And then, yeah, then there's the topic of actually orgasming and what one's thinking about during the orgasm. Uh, that might be the most, Mm -hmm. that might be the window of the clearest, obvious way to manifest something potentially. I love that. Um, I doubt, so circling back to the Michael Phelps and the weed and other people that are drug-free advocates, but maybe have used many exogenous substances to come to the realizations they've had. How does that relate to you and your life? If I remember correctly, I think you may have been using, uh, at one point you may have been oh, yeah. going down a path of mm-hmm. too many exogenous substances or the yeah. wrong ones. 
Both, I would okay. say. <laughs> okay. um, I, I honestly, I, I truly believe that, uh, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I truly believe that nothing is off limits. Like heroin, meth, all of that stuff, as dirty and dark as it can get and can make people become if it's um, abused. I, I do feel like that facilitated a certain level of awareness for me in my life to get to a point of realization and recognition, facilitated relationships for me, facilitated all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and to be brief, one of the reasons that tribe design really was a catalyst for me because it was the first time that I told my story in front of people that I didn't know. And my story is that I was a heroin addict for seven years and was homeless for three of those years. And, um, it was something that I, I went from there to practicing medicine and that trip was not easy. It was a very, very difficult experience. In fact, I was denied rotations at certain hospitals because of my past. I was accepted to PA school and then almost denied after I was accepted when they found out about the breadth of my history. How did they find out? Just by asking you? Or no, no. So like background checks. Yeah. And background mm-hmm. checks, you had like a criminal history? Fingerprinting. Yeah. And yeah. because of something that involved drugs or? Yeah. So, um, so I had a DUI, an extreme DUI where I totaled two cars. Um, I had possession of paraphernalia and marijuana. Um, I was arrested in my home or I, cl- I climbed on my roof naked trying to evade the police. Um, but there was marrow or there was a uh, cocaine on my counter, a bunch of acid in my bathroom. And so lots of like drug stuff associated. And interestingly, the way that, um, the records have been labeled is really this kind of gray labeling on it. And so I've had to explain this over and over and over and over again, man, like annually. And each year that I recertify with my national registry, I have to answer those questions again and go through it again. And, you know, I've had to be fingerprinted and just all kinds of stuff. And so, um, tribe design facilitated me talking about that and releasing that. And that has helped me now coach other people who have had similar experiences in the past with, um, food addictions or, you know, we're arguably as a society, many of us are addicted to one thing or another. And so, um, yeah. 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 And yeah, I mean, that's why raw veganism, Mm -hmm. I think is one of the greatest addictions for people that consider themselves. If there's such thing as like some people are more tilted to be an addict versus someone else, um, which I, that's another topic we can, I don't know how much time we have here, but, um, (laughs) uh, that raw veganism is a great thing for people that are highly addictive because I was, I got, I would say I would like people could classify me as being addicted to fruit and addicted Mm -hmm. to this lifestyle of like being pure. I was addicted to purity at that point. Yeah. Like addicted to cleansing, like, no, nothing, nothing. And, uh, man, just on a physical, on a more, I'm curious about your uses of, I don't know if you want to talk about the details of like, you said you've used heroin and meth. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So when I was in Georgia, a lot of my brother's friends started using meth and it didn't seem like a good thing. Like out of all the drugs that I've heard people yeah. using, that seemed like they didn't just use meth once. It wasn't like, oh, I used meth. It wasn't like an ayahuasca ceremony. It was like, right. uh, those people used meth. They're on meth for 11 days in a row and they haven't slept yeah. and they need help. Yeah. Uh, that seems like a, a pretty heavy... Dude, I was using heroin and meth at the same time. What are called speed balls. So injecting both heroin and meth at once, at, like at, at one experience. And so, I mean, that's to the level that I was at. We used to play Tony Hawk for days, dude. The video game. Yeah, Tony the video Hawk? game for days. You and know I that mean, house that Timothy rented and uh, that you stay at mm-hmm. Neptune. Uh, yeah. Now there's this company that has Outsight 
it's Tony Hawk's old house, and y'all were next to Sean White's old house. Anyway, it's oh, just yeah, a little yeah. side synchronicity nice. about Tony Hawk. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it was it was definitely a dark time. We would I lived in Prescott at the time. We'd drive down to Phoenix because I looked clean and I didn't look like an addict. I would go in and get the diabetic needles. I would go in and, you know, I, I it was. I know a little bit about that too because my dad used to. My dad's a pharmacist and he used yeah. to work in downtown Atlanta. And he okay. had a policy where he would give no one needles because he didn't want to be the the word would spread. Right. Whatever pharmacist was giving needles, right? Then all the addicts would yep. go that way. And he it was just he thought it was too dangerous. To yeah. have those people visiting this, frequenting the store. Yeah, I mean, it's not a good look. I mean, in Phoenix, there are places where they specifically will give out uh, clean needles so that people aren't sharing needles and they have, you know, specific boxes where you put the needles when you're done with them and in bathrooms and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a pretty pretty dark time and took me seven years to pull out of it essentially had my daughter taken away from me it was like the final the final final straw but I overdosed twice I had friends overdose and die I just had a friend overdose about six months ago and die um, there are three of us left out of like eight of us at the time and so it was just a, a really intense experience so. wow um, what do you think were, were you medicating so I think I was really, I was the kid that took everything apart. I always wanted to know how things worked and what was going on inside of things. And my father was also an ex-addict. He was a pastor. And I was raised in a very um, confined environment where we weren't allowed to experiment with things. And we weren't allowed to experience a lot of what life, life had to offer. And so for me on my 18th birthday, it was sort of like my hero's journey initiation where my dad was like, we sat down in the backyard and he's like, all right, so you're 18. You can either do what I want you to do and live by the rules of this house or you can move out. And so I took that as like being kicked out because he knew who I was and, and we had butted heads for years. And so, yeah, I moved out. Um, I had my own apartment the second half of my senior year of high school. I lived 30 minutes from Mexico. Uh, just a that's when things started. And so What's really interesting is I don't have this all figured out because I just have started talking about this about a year and a half ago and I don't talk about this often. And so I don't know exactly what I was doing if I was exploring things and enjoying the ride, so to speak, which I think a lot of it was that. It was just a, a really fun experience. I saw myself and my friends like here and I saw society here. We were just on a different level than everybody else. And to be able to observe people's behaviors and, and to connect with somebody else who's in this altered state was a really beautiful thing. And so, um, as unfortunately, you know, as, as, as much as it ran my life and became this really dark habit, that was kind of how I viewed it at the time. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely have some issues with, with my father, with masculinity in general, um, with my, my mind being very, very active, constantly evaluating and analyzing things. And so I think some of it was medicating that to a degree, but a lot of it was like wanting to party. I mean, wanting to have fun and, and, uh, connect with people. And so, yeah. Well, thank you for uh, sharing all that. I mean, <laughs> got pretty heavy there for a minute. What, well, it's good. It's good. Um, what it reminds me of is funny enough. I've been listening to this book from an author from Phoenix. Hmm. His name, the book's name is Influence. Okay. Do you know? Have you read this book? Mm -mm. Okay, I'm almost done with it. I think my next hike up Camelback, I'll finish it. Okay. And one of the things that I've learned from that book that I don't think I'll ever forget, or reminded of that I don't think I'll ever forget is that for children, 
if there for the small kids, if you do, this is how I interpreted what he said. For instance, if you don't want your kids to smoke cigarettes, you don't tell them to never do it. Like this is the worst thing in the world. Don't ever do this. There'll be major consequences. Like you don't do too much fear mongering. You just give them a simple ethical reason why it's not a good idea, and that's it. But for and and what they found in these studies is that people that had the simple ethical reason without all the fear mongering and all the driving and all the resistance are more likely not to do that thing in the future. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ones that were really pushed to yeah. stay away from this are more likely to actually be attracted to that, not in the moment, but in the future when sure. that authoritative figure is away. Sure. Well, I saw that modeled. I mean, before I got my own apartment, I very briefly stayed with a dear friend of mine, Laura, um, and her mom, and before I was kicked out of there, uh, she had full reign. Her mom was like, hey, if you're going to drink, call me. I'll come pick you up or have your friends over. And we were underage. Um, she never told her, you know, that you can't do this or this has to be a specific way. It really was like a very practical approach to life. And Laura, of course, I mean, obviously personality, disposition, all this stuff, affect has to play with our um, addiction and our, our behaviors, but this environment also has a lot to do with it. And Laura just didn't mess with it, really. I mean, she would drink occasionally, but she wasn't, you know, she would take care of people. She wasn't the type to be like hammered and out of control. And it was really incredible for me to see the situation. I was just like, wait, so you're allowed to do all this stuff, but you don't even really care to do it. I mean, it was so drastically different than my experience. And again, I've seen that over and over again, and it's affected my own parenting quite a bit. So. Yeah, that's a big topic. And my, you know, my hunch without going into a uh a full conscious courtroom in Maui just because <laughs> you were saying you're still figuring it out as we all are. Yeah. But if I probably am going to project a little bit onto you and maybe it'll land, I'm imagining that you are have such a huge energy, such a, like, especially when you're in your power like when you're fully empowered, it would probably scare the shit out of your parents, especially mm-hmm. when you were a young kid and they, I, mean, I don't know, are you the first Second, second kid second of two second of two like that probably was terrifying to your parents to maybe to see you in your full power and uh it probably has something to do with that maybe that would be my guess that maybe you became a little scared of you and your full power and you found just fun crazy ways to subdue it or medicate it or control it yeah there's definitely some paternal stuff as well i mean uh, without getting into too much detail, my father didn't have a good example of a father and he was trying to figure things out on his own and he had a lot of anger and he released Your grandfather. Uh, my dad, your dad, my your dad. dad, my dad had a lot of anger and he released that anger in physical ways in, while I was growing up. And, um, you know, he's just a, a human trying to figure out his experience. And so I certainly don't hold anything against him. And it helped shape my idea of masculinity. And, and I sort of threw out a lot of, um, a lot of those types of, uh, masculine behaviors and tendencies. I kind of threw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. And, uh, I, I myself was like, well, I can't lose control. I can't be off the handle. I need to be calculated and perfect and I can't fail. Uh, and so I think a lot of that pressure when I innately couldn't live up to that pressure, then I would self-sabotage and probably with medicating myself and that kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's probably a lot more that I can learn about it. Um, 
with more more energy toward it but i appreciate that yeah and i think the healthiest thing at least um my belief is one of the healthiest things we can do for each other human beings on this crazy floating rock through space we're on <laughs> is actually to accurately report what's happening for us as yeah. best as we can yeah and as healthy and as safe and as loving yep. as we can and i think you're doing that I don't think you're trying to say you've figured it all out and this is how, this is exactly why you did what and this is exactly what everyone else should do. You're more doing what, if I was going to shit on anybody, I was shit on myself. It's like, I'm aiming to accurately explore what's happening in a loving way and I don't know if it's the best for you. I don't, I'm not even sure right. if it's the best for me. I have faith, I have faith <laughs> it is. Yeah. I have faith it is and, and that's why I think like I feel like we're all investigative journalists through this crazy journey of life and for people that are like manipulating receiving or hiding it's so much trickier and harder yeah. to connect and understand and to team up with people that are doing that oh, 100% that's this is definitely one thing that I, I pride myself in is that um, I will tell you <laughs> if you ask me a question I'll tell you the truth like how, how I really feel or what I'm experiencing and um, I think that's helped me connect with people, both in the emergency department when people are in pain or having a bad day or with my clients. Uh, I show up and I'm fully myself and I'll be totally honest with people and vulnerable and authentic because what's most personal is most universal. Right. And I, that, I believe that. Uh, that was on back in the breaking normal bus and Jordan just texted me right before this call <laughs> that he just took the, now it's called the Flowmobile to Burning Man and he's coming back down through Phoenix oh, nice. with it. Wow. So maybe right me, you and Jordan go on a hike up back or something. You've met Jordan, right? I have. Was he mm -hmm. in Maui that time? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And he was on uh, Neptune over there when you guys yep, were there Yeah, next door neighbors, <laughs> yep. Mystic Manor. Um, oh, and is your dad live? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, uh, I, the one other thing just personally came up for me. I was like, maybe you can, maybe it's okay for you to hold that against your dad. Hmm. I felt a little yeah. like maybe uh, I don't want you to defend your dad for hitting you or hurting you. Yeah. I like that recognition. Thank you. <laughs> and then on that note, I am so happy because I have pretty judgmental thoughts about just pivoting. You mentioned the medical system and being a PA and showing mm -hmm. up for your clients and people that are going through emergencies and probably how your experience has been so amazing for you to be able to show up for other people going through their emergencies yeah. um man i think that's one solution to the medical system is getting people such as yourself mm. that are willing to be as open yeah. as you are in there rather than being brainwashed by like a, an industry that's infiltrating medical schools or something like that like yeah. kind of seeing through the veil of illusion yeah. do you have any other um ideas solutions opinions about how to that gets deep man <laughs> yeah i know anything like big ones like if you want to plant a seed like maybe someone maybe one, uh, a multi-billionaire is listening to this is looking ready mm -hmm. ready to change the medical system do you have any like just general yeah. things to touch on because i that's a huge ass topic i know well there's been a lot of focus for me recently on addressing provider burnout and in fact i've written a uh, proposition a proposal of sorts with 24 peer-reviewed referenced uh resources cited uh, to the CFO of, or the COO rather, of Envision, which is the company that owns the company that I work for. Envision owns about a third of the ERs in the U.S. right now. And so um, we're looking at this demographic of providers who have arguably answered one of the highest calls as, as a human, and that is to serve a call or a, a purpose bigger than oneself, sacrifice some of the best years of their life, right? They're young adult life to go to school and go hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to get out and practice medicine and to not have the experience that they were kind of sold or thought they would have. And so these people end up 
morally injured to a degree where they don't have the autonomy, they don't have the fulfillment, they don't have the experience that they wanted to have. And so um, this personal aspect of burnout is quite large. Now, the cause of it is um, multifactorial and multifaceted. It has to do with insurance. It has to do with pharma. It has to do with the corporatization and commodification of healthcare. All of these things are playing into this big backwards moving machine. And if you look at all smart business models, Starbucks, Southwest Airlines, they give the people on the floor the control and the power because they understand these are these are the places where people connect and this is what makes the business work medicine is taking all the decisions away from the provider and putting them in the hands of people who run you know who have business degrees that don't do medicine and say hey you have to label this a certain way to be reimbursed or you can do this study or you cannot do this study based on these specific parameters um, the way that reimbursement is run. I mean, all of these things are directly backwards from, you know, um, smarter, better, faster. Charles Duhigg talks about this in detail. And unfortunately, the provider is now stuck in the middle of trying to serve themselves and like pay their loans back, trying to serve the patient and what they need, and then trying to serve this massive industry. And so they're kind of this this pivotal point where a lot of pressure is put on them. And it's resulting in the highest suicide rate out of any other profession, twice the suicide rate of normal, you know, everyday people. Um, it's a it's a really sad reality that we're faced with right now. And so my goal is to help fix that on a personal level rather than on like a corporate level. Um, and I can speak more uh, intelligently to the personal level rather than the like whole corporate level. And then how, on the personal level, how are you doing that? Um, so it's different for every individual person, to be honest. There's no um, one size fits all, but I have a basically a um, peer-reviewed approach to creating change. And it's habit replacement, it's affect labeling, it's small wins, it's all of these different modalities that are psychologically proven to help facilitate shifting in our lives. Really small shifts in the right direction, reorienting to an internal locus of control, rather than thinking that the world is happening uh, to us and we don't have as much control, but giving us back the power to control what we can control and quit leaking energy on the things we can't control. It's kind of like uh, professional athletes, if they were to argue over the size of the goalpost or like how wide the field is or what the football is made out of, it'd be wasted energy, right? Instead, they're focused on how they can be faster and stronger and, and more agile. And so that's synonymous with what we do is we waste our energy on other people's thoughts, other people's feelings or situations or circumstances rather than focusing our energy on what we can control. And so I try to get people to reorient to that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely reassuring. I'm, I'm always like anytime I meet someone in the medical industry that seems to be on the path of similar, similar vibration frequency, if we want to speak in ultra spiritual terms, as you, it's reassuring and it's cool. affirming because, yeah, I've met doctors that have been and other people in the medical career there. It's scary. It's scary. Yeah. And then my dad being a pharmacist and knowing uh, about some of the – how certain prescriptions and modalities get prescribed to people – it's like, whoa. I guess, you know, at the root of it, just mixing up capitalism with healthcare is mm. is part of the muddied waters, right? The obvious, one of the obvious oh, yeah. issues. Yeah. yeah. 
Hmm. Well, anything else on your mind or heart before we uh, conclude off air or to be continued off air? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate you having me on. It's been great to connect with you as always. Great to share a little bit of what is going on in my heart and uh, share the space with you, man. And if anyone wants to reach out to you just to either follow you and or support you and yeah. or maybe look into your coaching services, what's the uh, best way to for them to do that? So I would just say biomveda.com is the best way to do it. How do you spell that? B-I-O-M-V-E-D-A. So biomveda. Um, and that's kind of my website it has a bunch of different stuff on there. I'm, I'm reorienting to what's fun in my life right now. And so I'm, we're doing an ecstatic dance meditation fusion in September, end of September, uh, the 27th. So this month, end of this month, um, I do meditations as well a couple times a month. And so, um, yeah, just having fun with life a little bit and uh, that's all on the website. And so people can contact me there. And what's that you're wearing on your neck? This is serpentine. Yeah. It's, so it's a, uh, it's a native American, uh, ceremonial stone, um, has some native American properties to it. For me personally, I feel like this is a, a big sort of like, not just where it's located on my body, but also the energy I get from it is like solar plexus meets heart chakra. And so really like certainty, security, um, stability, self-confidence, and then also like self-love and compassion and that kind of thing. So nice. And, uh, actually now that I'm just asking you, I want to, I kind of have a hunch or an urge to ask you a bunch of rapid fire, quick questions. Do you want to do popcorn back and forth for like five minutes and then call it a Call sure. it a podcast. Yeah. So I'll, I'll ask you one, and then you ask me mm-hmm. one. And just quick, rapid-fire answers. Okay. Um, what's the uh, what is yeah? What's the main difference for you in the past? In the past, obviously, of heroin versus um, meth. Uh, one made me super energized, and one made me want to fall asleep. Basically, heroin, the sleepy one. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Cool. Um, what is the uh, what's the biggest concern you have as a father? Oh, probably, uh, current, like, yeah, me and Deanna, um, us not being in harmony or like uh, us, uh, if, if, if slash when we've been out of harmony, how that could influence Deanna, Davina. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, uh, what's that tattoo on your left arm mean? So this is, uh, it says Anicca, and that's in Pali, which is the language of the Buddha. Uh, it means impermanence. It means that everything is fluxing and flowing. So to crave things or try to push things away is just wasted energy, and everything's always changing anyway. So this sounds like Buddha. Yeah. It sounds like a river, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same thing. Um, what, uh, how often do you work out, upper body versus lower body? Oh, okay. So... I almost do some sort, like if you count push-ups or pull-ups as upper mm-hmm. body workout, which I think you do, Yeah. probably six days a week on that. Okay. And if you count lifting weights as a lower body workout, very rarely, but if you count hiking or walking, mm-hmm. six or seven, six days a week okay. on the lower body. Pretty off, yeah. pretty balanced. But I definitely think, uh, I will just expound a little bit, based on some lower back issues I've had uh, from lifting heavy weights, I think I've been dissuaded from pushing mm-hmm. my lower body sometimes is yep. as easily as for me to push my upper body. Cool. If that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Um, are you planning on growing your hair out longer? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten really, um, unfortunately, uh, difficult in the summer here. It's like a hundred and whatever today. 
Um, and this is the first years I'm coming up on three years this month, actually of growing it and, uh, it's gotten quite hot. And so, um, that would be the one thing it would sometimes the haircut, like, especially when I'm sleeping and it's all over the place. I didn't, um, that would be the, the time that I considered cutting it, but who knows I'm planning on going for it and, uh, I might just cut it. So. <laughs> uh, okay. What is your least favorite place or situation, even doesn't have to be geographic, that you found yourself in in like the last year with your family? Oh, probably when I arrived in Sedona and we stayed at the village of Oak Creek, like we had a place to, they booked for a month and a half. That that's when all the shit shifted. And I was like, I got to start remembering. But there, there's yeah, yeah. up until I remember that different future. I was feeling crazy. Like, why am I, where am I? How do people live here without water? Yeah. Kind of thing. I was like, and I don't want to drive 40 minutes to the spring every day. Right. Kind of thing. That That's the one that first comes up. Okay. And that, and that brought up all, I think I was like throwing a tantrum mm. and me throwing a tantrum. I don't think is good for me in Indiana either. Um, oh yeah. Why are you growing your hair out for three years? Um, that's a good question. So I, I was in Mexico at a friend's wedding and I told my daughter I wasn't going to cut my hair and I was going to go for two years. And so I did it. And, and then I went, now I'm coming up on the third year. What's really interesting is that as I've grown it out, it is, it has sort of grown on me to a degree. Like I, I really feel, um, I really enjoy it. I like, I like having, it makes me feel more like, uh, in touch with my masculinity, I would say there's a piece of it that is, is almost like a pride kind of piece. And, um, I've really, yeah, I really like it. Awesome. I think we got time for one more each. Cool. Um, what is the, what is, what would you say is the, uh, the grounding practice for you that you do daily that you can't exist as yourself without? I would probably say like being aware, at least aware of where the source of fresh water is. I love that. Being aware and knowing how to get there. And then I typically will do breath work near that sure. source of water when I can. Okay. Um, oh yeah, what's your favorite thing about your daughter? Oh, she's so creative, man. Like, she's so incredibly creative. She uh, oftentimes will... Um, show up in my room and just have like this elaborate design that she created. She um, created a sort of like, what are those things called where they open like uh, paper and it opens up and there's all these different, uh, man, I'm describing this very terribly. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, so she created one of these out of this big poster board and it was an emulation of my website and she had all these little uh, certificates that you could pull out and like she had a pen attached to it where you could sign up to be my client. And I mean, it was just like really incredible. The level of creativity that she has and things she comes up with are just like otherworldly. And um, that's a definite gift and talent that I hope she continues to curate. Wow. It's like, why, why, why dad? I only have it on the screen when we can make it 3d yeah, right here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Luis. So. Yeah. I, well, I definitely want to thank you and your daughter. I remember when I stayed at your place a few, maybe, I don't know when that was like a half a year ago or so, <laughs> yeah. but allegedly she made sure to, that I yep. knew that she was welcome. I was welcome to stay in her room while her she was bed, gone. Yeah. That felt yep. real nice. Good. Real, yeah. She's a great kid. Real she's nurturing. Got a, she's got a big heart. Um, and it was great to have you that time. 
Well, to be continued. Trust yes, y'all sir. enjoy the podcast. <laughs> and uh, oh, I'm gonna sneak one more question in. Do you use CBD? One of our main no. sponsors is a CBD company. No. Do you have any opinions I, on that? I actually was given some to uh, to like check out and review online if if it worked well for me, and um, I didn't really get anything from it. I was using both the oil and then also the balm. Um, and I had a little bit of like a, a, every now and then I get this neck thing from pushing too much weight overhead. And, um, I used it on that, which I felt maybe helped, but I just haven't gotten any, uh, any real reason to use it. Well, cool thing. If you want to try any of the Ned CBD we have, it's, they've extended their partnership with this again. And they're, I'm getting a lot of testimonies from it. A lot of cool, cool. testimony. Even one girl recently was saying no more meds for me. Like, thank, mm. thank you so much for this. Um, and anyone well. that's interested in that breaking normal.com slash podcast, check out, there's a link there, but you can go to helloned.com slash breaking normal, get 15% off your first order. Nice. And then let me know about your, let me know your testimony. Send me one on Instagram. People are, you get 15% off your first order there. People are loving it. I, I've been using it at night. I've been, I usually use it at night and I do think I get a nice relaxing effect. Okay. Um, and there's something I do. I really love the ganja plant. Same. And yeah. I'm not sure if it's only there's, there's more ways to use it than just getting super super psychoactively right. high from smoking it. So I'm I'm proud of these CBD companies and right. Ned is a full spectrum one from one farm in Paonia, Colorado. And I interviewed the owner named Rhett. Check out that interview and uh, check out Joel. We'll have the show notes in there. And I'm I'm stoked for anyone that reaches out to you. I bet it'll be yeah. a synergistic uh, relationship. I love it. All right, thank you, Joel. Thank you, brother. Peace. This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. All right, y'all. I trust y'all dug that as much as I did or even more. Man, what a man Joel is. Thank you, Joel. And uh, so inspiring with his transparency, it has inspired me to add to this outro a teaser to the Breaking Normal book on Audible. Um, the confessions section chapter of the book. Not all of it. I kind of cut it off midway, and you'll see. If you want to listen to the rest, I highly encourage you to download the whole audiobook. And I do kind of give a sneak peek to part of my confession in the book. But I think it's uh, very important to get the whole context before just hearing about the things that I don't want you to hear about, if that makes enough sense. And if it doesn't, remember sometimes confusion is the uh, starting place to clarity and learning. It's actually a great sign of learning taking place when someone is confused. And don't let that be the next dogma, though, because that could also be a dangerous thing to believe 100% of the time. (laughs) And um, on another note, we did find out, so this has been a few, it's probably been a week since I interviewed Joel and it's amazing how this Sedona event has been sold out. Then the spots have opened up, sold out, spots have opened up. It's another indication of, it's amazing how, uh, what kind of resistance can come up for people right before a huge breakthrough. So some of the people that had signed up and put deposits down are not coming. And right now it looks like we have uh, maybe one more spot for an attendee and potentially another spot for a um, photographer slash videographer because our photographer slash videographer that we have right now is not scheduled to be on the bonus night. And the bonus night uh, might be the most, oh man, this could be a very special one. We're going to be actually staying at the place we stayed in Sedona and it looks like uh, it's not been confirmed 100%, but it looks like we might do a live podcast and music session with Parangi on the rooftop of that amazing treehouse out there in the desert. 
So uh, if you're a videographer or photographer, get your application in ASAP and we can work out a deal. And if you want to attend the event and really go all in on the experience and immerse yourself in the tribe design, the design also apply and enjoy the outro to the uh, the audiobook of Breaking Normal. If you want to grab it, go ahead and grab it on Audible or Amazon. And um, a little side note, I'm about to go hike Camelback Mountain out here. We're in uh, Scottsdale for, I believe, two more nights before we head to Sedona to start this event. And uh, man, I've hiked it the last six days. So this will potentially, if I, if I go through it, it'll be the seventh day in a row of what I think getting to the highest point in Phoenix. And what that reminds me is that I might get another massage. I got a massage yesterday, um, and I got to use the hemp body butter from Ned, who I mentioned earlier in this episode. And I actually talked to Rhett, the founder, uh, about an hour ago, and he was definitely affirming that. That actually one of their first wholesale clients is a body worker, massage therapist, phys- uh, I think a key. What's that word? <laughs> the guy that works on. Yeah, kinesiology. <laughs> and uh, he does all kinds of body work. And that, yeah, apparently a lot of massage therapists really not only enjoy the ingredients and the results, but also how it applies to the skin. So if you are in that market, definitely, man, break, uh, go to helloned.com slash breaking normal. Put their breaking normal code in. Get 15% off your first order and see if that ain't the the best lotion that you can put on yourself and clients and uh, just receive the medicinal benefits of hemp grown on mountain water and in biodynamic ways that's from one farm in Colorado. I'm, I'm super proud to be extending this partnership with the company. And if you want to learn more about the founder, Rhett, I have interviewed him, as I think I mentioned earlier in this podcast as well. So check that one out. Let us know. Uh, your results of using the CBD. I'm getting rave reviews from so many different people. And uh, yeah, much love to y'all. And maybe maybe someone listening to this will be the person that grabs the last spot for Sedona. It's always fascinating to me who signs up the last at these events. Um, I remember some once in Maui, I think someone signed up 14 minutes before the event. He was dropping, he was like dropping someone off at our event. And he was like, sign up. And that guy had a beautiful experience and we're amazing friends and this is actually reminding me i want to check back in with him sterling my man how are you doing up there in upcountry maui all right all right all right um that's about it skis i got a text message i was like is this relevant for (laughs) this podcast what's not relevant what is you decide keep Tune into the frequency of synchronicity, and I trust the Breaking Normal podcast is doing that for you. And enjoy this teaser to the Breaking Normal book. Much love, y'all. You get what you give, and you see what you are looking for. Chapter 5. Self-Acceptance Through Self-Expression At a recent play shop, an older man shared a dream he'd previously had. He was climbing a mountain, getting closer to the top, but also feeling tired and weighed down. He was wearing a backpack, which at first seemed normal, until he realized that he had no idea what was in it, no idea why he had packed it, and no reason to continue carrying it up the mountain. To reach the top, he decided, he would have to drop it. He mentioned this dream in the context of the next exercise, confession. The backpack, he decided, was full of stories that were no longer useful to him, that held him back in his growth as a person. They were stories about what he could and couldn't do based on the fact that he was such and such type of person. 
They were memories of memories, of incidences from his past, things that he still carried shame about, things that had happened years ago, which, when he thought about them, still had the power to make him feel embarrassed. He realized that he had packed this backpack, not all at once, but over the course of his life. Every time he stopped himself from fully feeling an experience, the backpack got heavier. Every time he allowed emotions like fear to prevent him from doing something that a fun, comfortable voice inside him wanted to do, the backpack got heavier. Every time he rationalized about why it had to be so, when deeper down he knew better, the backpack got heavier. How do you get rid of the backpack? You get honest. It sounds easy. It sounds cliche. Cliches are popular, however, because a lot of people recognize their inherent truth. Like most cliches, there's a lot more to them initially than meets the eye. The first step to getting honest is to start talking about the ways in which we might have lied in the past. Emerson says, commit a crime and the world is made of glass. Lying is exactly that sort of crime. It turns the ground to glass that we fear will break with every step. So we start to tiptoe, and when we tiptoe, we're tense. Tension causes stress, and stress can cause dis-ease. By restricting our breathing, creating energy blockages, and damming emotions, stress leads to fatigue, hormonal imbalance, and even changes our internal pH. Disease thrives in tense, acidic environments. The most insidious, most prevalent form of lying is withholding, which is not saying something we want to say because we fear the reaction. The thing one withholds doesn't go away. It stays within like a landmine. The more people withhold, the more landmines they gather. After a while, they can't even play or relax anymore because there are so many mines in the yard, so to speak, that they might step on one at any moment. Others can't play or relax around them because it's dangerous. One wrong word, and they might blow up. That is, blow up on them. The landmines surround them and bisect them. They cut people off from themselves and cut them off from other people. Lying fills them with waste, leads to heaviness and constipation. Whether it's withholding, partial withholding, telling white lies, or speaking slander altogether, the end result is that they don't get it out. When they lie about something, they create a gap between the person they're pretending to be and the person they really are. It takes a lot of energy to maintain that gap, and the more energy that goes into maintaining it, the less energy there is to put into things that might matter more, like their goals and their pursuits. In that way, lying is a form of self-sabotage. Their light gets dim because of all the stories they layer on top of it. Similar to covering their body in shame and shutting their emotions down in fear, they start putting filters on what they say. They think before they speak and neurotically daily bite their tongue. That's the road that leads out of the garden, paved though it might be with good intentions. The lies this road is made of are sometimes big, but they are more often small white lies. Taken one at a time, they seem inconsequential, benign. The lies are casual and in some cases even expected. Passing someone on the street, for example, and asking them how they are, a lot of people don't expect an honest answer. And when they themselves are asked, they rarely give one. I'm fine, they say, and move along. They get in the habit of not sharing their authentic opinions or spontaneous impressions as they spring to mind. 
They try to hide them along with their insecurities, fears, and judgments. When someone else is talking and they either don't agree or don't feel like listening, they nod their heads mechanically and politely so as not to be rude, meanwhile deceiving that other person by implying that they understand and agree. Oh well, they might rationalize, which means rationally lie. The more I nod my head, the sooner they'll stop talking. It's not worth the trouble of telling the truth. As four-year-olds, we probably wouldn't do that. If someone asked us back then, for example, whether we liked their outfit, we would have given a quick and honest answer. We would have faithfully reported what came up in us in response to the question. Ask that same question a few years later, however, and by then a lot of people would probably have learned to hedge a bit, meaning they would first think it over and play the answer a few times in their minds and then change it based on how they thought the questioner would react. Imagine the toll that takes when one does it every day. It seems like the older they got, the more frequently they had to do it simply to survive, to get by, make friends, please their teachers, preachers, and relatives. Fast forward 20 years or so, and what do we have? An adult, a grown-up, which today can mean someone whose truth is so complicated so guarded by landmines that they don't express it, maybe don't even hear it because of all the noise. That's the situation a lot of people are in. That's the challenge to overcome. They're emotionally constipated, full of other people's stories. Why? Because rationalizations that keep them trapped in the jail of their minds. They talk differently in public than they do in private. And there is a gap between what they say and how they act. Whenever that gap is exposed, they feel vulnerable and cover it up as quickly as possible. They may have thought that lying, withholding, and biting their tongue was basic social intelligence, a way to get by and not make waves. They might have thought that riding the tide of least resistance would land them on the island of success. Instead, they are marooned, surrounded by landmines, prison bars, out of touch with what they actually think and feel. They withheld their gifts and their strengths their weaknesses and doubts. They lied about the things they didn't want other people to know about them out of fear of rejection. And they lied about the things they did want people to know about them also paradoxically out of fear of rejection. The fear of rejection is often a cover for a fear of intimacy. They made themselves out to be both better and worse than they were. It was false virtue and false modesty, a desire to please others to such an extent that they stopped listening to and honoring themselves. The key to freedom is at the tip of their nose, but like Pinocchio, every time they lie or bite their tongue, that nose grows a little bit bigger. The guard of this jail is the mind that filters every thought. The way out of jail is to surprise the guard, to speak before they think, not after. If they wait to say the words coming up until after they've already thought about them, that is, until they're absolutely sure that the words are safe to say, safe meaning innocuous, inoffensive, filtered, fluoridated, they will probably not say them at all. They will rationalize that the thing they were going to say was stupid or out of left field, that would have offended the other person, that they didn't actually think it, that they didn't know if it was correct or something they made up. They will bite their tongue, and whatever it is was that originally sparked those words within, possibly their heart and soul, will get the message that they aren't listening to it, and eventually it will go quiet altogether. The exercise we do is confession. I love to think of it as social bungee jumping. 
It's an invitation to unconditional love and to let go of the addiction to fitting in. We get back in the circle and take turns saying all the things we don't want to say, telling the group all the things we don't want them to know about us. Each person has two minutes, two minutes to black out and say whatever comes up that causes their palms to sweat, their hands to shake, and their hearts to beat fastest. The riskier it sounds in your imagination, the more key it may be to your freedom. The time limit is in place to keep the rationalizations and stories to a minimum. The goal of the exercise is to say these things somewhat quickly before you can think your way around them. The role of the audience, in addition to staying present with each confession, is to listen for any hedging, any pulled punches, any rationalizations and stories. If they hear something that seems like an attempt to soften the blow, they can call out, story, to get the confessor back on track. I'm tempted here to explain the exercise further, but I'm even more tempted to show you what I mean by going first. I notice my heartbeat is elevated and my mind is racing, and I imagine that means it's time. Besides, I love following my heart, especially when it seems fun comfortable to do so. The first thing I don't want you to know is that when I was younger, I had a reputation for being a reckless driver. I was once pulled over for doing 106 in a 70. My mom and sister were both sleeping in the car. I could have been arrested on the spot, but instead we followed the cop back to the station, whereupon my mom negotiated with him and got the ticket reduced to 99 in a 70. When I was a junior in high school, I flipped and totaled my mom's car because I was trying to prove my physics teacher wrong about centripetal force as it pertained to the maximum speed a car could safely take the curve of our school's bus lane. My best friend was in the passenger seat videotaping. His hand was cut in the accident, but other than that, neither of us was hurt. I once peed in a cup and told my brother it was orange.